It's always so encouraging and so humbling when, uh, when you hear updates like that about people who have uh, really put themselves, um, put themselves out there to, to do God's work in a way um, which, which effectively and very, um, in a very forthright manner changes lives. Um, it's great to hear. So, so thanks for bringing that update and those, those prayers in. That's, 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 that's always good. It's always good. And what's also always good is, is reading Scripture, and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to carry on looking at uh, the passage that we started looking at last week, Ephesians 4. And you'll remember that last week we did the opening seven verses, and um, I said that I I kept it um, a fairly uh, short passage because it was a communion service, and I didn't want to bite off more than than we could chew. So today we've got a slightly longer passage, and just remind yourself, last uh, last week we we talked about the, the personal the personal aspects of faith that Paul spoke about, the peace and the, the bond that ties us together, the, the, the bond of unity and how important it is that we share that unity and that sense of peace as a church and that we, we demonstrate those, uh, those, those characteristics whenever anybody comes into this building or sees us out in the world. So that was how we can equip ourselves personally. <coughs> Excuse me. So now we're going to look at how we equip ourselves corporately as a church. This passage that we're about to read now talks about us as a, as a united body of people and the way that God equips us and what we can do to equip ourselves and make sure that we're ready to face whatever the world throws our way. So we're going to start reading from verse 7 and we're going to go to the end of verse 24. I did say it was a big chunk. So Paul writes this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts." Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust 
for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So that is a a long passage. There's an awful lot there. It's a very rich passage, and inevitably, it's a passage that... (coughs) Hang on cue. Thank you very much. Inevitably, it's a passage which we won't be able to do fully justice today because there's so much in it. You could have an entire entire six-month preaching series just on that passage alone. But... To begin with, this passage talks about gifts. And it's always always, um, a, a bit of a minefield when you preach a passage like this, because there is a danger, and I've seen it done before, there is a danger that it can almost create the sense of a hierarchy in the church. It can leave some people walking out feeling like second class citizens in the kingdom of God. Because whenever we we talk of a list of gifts, some people will say, yeah, that's me. I have have one of those gifts in that list. That is me. Great. But if you walk away from the service thinking, I don't really identify with any of them, then you can walk away feeling a little bit second class. I haven't been chosen by God to have one of these gifts. Somehow I'm not quite as worthy as somebody else might be. And so I want us to begin today by just reading the very first verse in this passage, because this is a verse which is absolutely vital to make sure that nobody leaves here today feeling in any way a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God, because there is no hierarchy. We are all equal in the priesthood of all believers. Paul says here, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace. Grace is is the, the thing that underpins our faith. We are justified by the grace of God. Our salvation comes through the grace of God. Simply put, grace is the act of of giving something which is not requested, not deserved, not earned but it's freely given. Grace could be like the, the parent and the child, and the child saying, I can't believe you're not going to let me go to the party on Friday night. All my friends are going, I hate you. I wish you weren't my parents. This is awful. Okay. Do you want to lift the football training? Yeah, all right. You know, that, that's, that's a simple act of grace. Despite the, the, the abuse and the lack of gratitude and the, the, the rudeness The parent still wants to do what needs to be done for the child. God our Father, despite the sin that we build up as we go through life, despite all the times that we let him down, despite all the time that we we get it wrong and fail him, despite the fact that none of us can say that we deserve 
a place in heaven. Paul says to each one of us, grace has been given. And so that verse sets the tone for this passage. And so I don't want anybody walking away from here this morning saying, well, actually, I don't think I'm, I'm, I haven't got any of the other gifts. I don't think I am an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. I don't see myself in that way. No, maybe not. But grace has been given to you. And that is more important than any of those gifts. That demonstrates that God loves you and you are elevated. You are part of the priesthood of all believers. And that's a wonderful truth. That is a wonderful thing to read. Now, Paul then goes into this, he goes off on a, on a, a sort of a, a Ronnie Corbett-style tangent where he suddenly starts talking about Jesus ascending and descending. And that is very, very uh, important. It's interesting. But we're going to stick to the, the main plot this morning. We're going to stick where Paul continues talking about the gifts in the church. He says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The role of those people are to be leaders within the church. And their job is very specific. It is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So actually, again, this is unity in the church. This is saying that, yes, God gives certain gifts to certain people, but that, that comes with a responsibility. And that responsibility is to make sure that those gifts are used to build up God's people, i.e. all of us, so that we are equipped to go out and do the work that God sets before us. When I um, was first voted in um, uh, back in back in September, and I'd had the phone call. It was just a few days later that I had um, I had an email from uh, one of our one of our mission uh, mission or soon to be mission partners, who's currently still with us for security reasons. I won't name names, um, but um, it said, "Hi there, just to let you know, this is me, and um, I'm, I'm really pleased you've just you know you've been." Um, uh, voted in and called to be our, our new minister. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Um, just to let you know that in a few months' time, I'm going to be um, going to live on the other side of the world. I thought, well, that's a pretty extreme reaction to my... You know, I hope, hope not everyone does that. Um, but I thought, that's fantastic. And as I read the details of the work that's going to be done, and it was really exciting, and I am excited to hear more about it. And I'm sure that as a church, we look forward to supporting that work. It's brilliant. It's amazing. But don't anybody sit there thinking, God hasn't called me to do that. I wish I had the, the sort of, you know, a, such a clear idea of what God is calling me to do. Because in order to release somebody to do something like that, it takes a lot of financial investment. In order for a church to be able to financially invest in someone's calling and release someone to do what God has called them to do, the church needs to be supported financially. A church is supported financially by the generous giving of its membership. And so, if you're a church member or a regular attender, 
And tomorrow morning, you go into the office, and maybe the boss has had a, a terrible weekend, is in a foul mood, and you get dragged across the coals for a minor mistake you made last week. Or maybe you, you wake up and you think, oh, I'm just so bored of this job. Why do I do it? God, what, what, are, you, what are you doing with my life? And you think, I've just got the mundane existence where I just tick along and I haven't got this clear sense of calling that some people seem to have and I must be a second or maybe third class citizen in the kingdom of God. No, you're not. You're not. You're doing God's work right there. Because by doing what might feel like a mundane job, actually, actually you're building up resources to help equip the church to to honour someone's calling and equip them so that they can go and do... What, what, they, what they're called to do thousands of miles away. That is the church family. That is unity in the church. And that is something that we can all do. We can all play a part in. And so we should own that calling. It's not a calling on one individual. It's a calling on a church. And I thank God that this church has recognized that and has made, that possi- made it possible for someone to recognize their calling. It's getting more and more expensive to do things. To send someone, to send a minister to, to study is so expensive now. Many, many churches can't do that. But when we pull together, when we accept that we're not living a mundane life, we're not just going to an office and not really serving God, when we see that as doing God's work, suddenly it changes our mentality, it changes the approach that we have to what we maybe thought was a bit mundane before. We are doing God's work, whatever we're, wherever we happen to be. Paul goes on. By doing this, by building up the body of Christ, we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. When we speak about the bond of unity, a word we haven't used yet is patience. You see, when we gather together, we all have different levels of maturity. I'm not talking the maturity of, of life that we see as we, as we grow up. I'm talking about the maturity of faith. The writer of the book of Hebrews was quite cutting. He says... In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Within a church family, we have different levels of maturity in the faith. There are some people who have been there, seen it, got the t-shirt. They, they know the Bible inside out. They know their theology. And they say, we want meaty teaching. We want to really get in, into the Bible. And that's great. That's brilliant. But we have other people who say, well, 
I just heard about Jesus last week and I haven't even got a Bible. The bond of unity will lead us to be patient with one another, to understand one another, to accept that we are all different at different stages on our journey to knowing Jesus. Some of us know him as a, an intimate friend. Other people just kind of have seen him from a distance and aren't quite sure how to approach him for the first time. But what we can do, we can all accept. We can all accept that we begin in the faith as infants and we can all assess, well, where am I? What, have I, what, what stage have I grown to? It's not an age thing, is it? I've seen children with an incredibly mature faith coming out with things, with words of wisdom, where you think, wow, you've understood teaching to a depth that I would never have expected. Equally, I've seen adults who you think, you've been 30 years in the church and I don't know if you've learned a thing. We need to be honest with ourselves. But we also need to be aware that when a writer of the Hebrews talks about some needing milk and some needing solid food. It brings to my mind the image of, of being spoon-fed. It's very easy to come along to church every week, week in, week out, and sit and receive, hear about all the good things going on and celebrate that and then go home again. But we're called to serve. Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we should serve wholeheartedly as if we're serving God, not man. And so everything, every opportunity that, that, that there is in church to serve in one capacity or another, we should take. We should look to serve. We should look to, to play an active role. So many churches um, sort of have a, the pyramid effect almost where there's the, um, a very small number at the point, at point of the pyramid doing doing stuff, and then the further down you go, you get more and more people who do less and less and less. Now, I've been amazed at the number of people that serve in this church, which is why I'm saying this this morning. If I didn't think that, if I thought that this was a church with a, with a problem of the, the pyramid, then I'd be more sensitive in the way that I presented it. I don't think that's a problem here, but it can become a problem if we become reliant on, on a small number of people. Then suddenly... We get, to, we get to the stage where people come along and just want to be spoon-fed. And Paul says, actually, no, we should all build up the body of Christ. We are all individual parts forming the corporate body of Christ, which is the church, with Jesus as the head. And if we don't play our role, then no matter how small a part we might imagine ourselves to be, we let the body suffer. And the body of Christ is not as strong as it can be. And so this passage encourages us to play our part, to, to get involved in things, to come along to, to, to prayer meetings or to support in other ways whatever is going on in the church. Play our part. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. When I 
when I used to work up in London, I worked there for 12 years, and um, at one point I was working for a firm. It was, it was great fun. It was great fun because I worked with people who this passage speaks about. It was great fun because there was people who lived life to the full in the way that the world, the lad culture of the world, would recognize it. I was amazed when I started at this particular firm at the number of guys, and it was mainly guys, who on a Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday night, do a day at work, um, have clients for lunch, go to the pub, spend all afternoon there, then go on to a restaurant, then go on to a casino, a nightclub, a lap dancing club, back to the casino, go to a tailor's in the morning, get a new shirt, go to the gym, have a shower, get back into the office. And they'd all be talking about what an amazing night they'd had. And I was very much the, the boring one in the office. And I won't lie, there was temptation to go along, to get involved, to share the lifestyle, because they came out with these stories that were, frankly, hilarious. It sounded like an absolute hoot. I thought, boy, I'm missing out here. Normally, these nights, the reason that they could do it is because they were fueled by what they called Colombian marching dust, cocaine to you and I. The reason I never did get involved with that lifestyle, the reason I never wanted to is because I was the person that they came to when things started falling apart. Many times I'd have guys who were very successful, making a lot of money, leading this hedonistic lifestyle and, and making out that they were absolutely having a ball. They were darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was, hard, that, was there, that was in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They'd lost all sensitivity. They'd given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. I met plenty of people that Paul talks about like that. And I'm sure you have too. This city will have plenty of people who live lives like that. And we need to make sure that if we're, if we're in those situations, if we're surrounded by people who live those lives, who put those temptations in our path, then we remember Jesus. We remember what we know about Jesus and what we know to be a truly fulfilled life. When the world talks about living life to the full, it is a very different picture to what Jesus talks about when he encourages us to live life to the full. And we must not be afraid of that. We must not be afraid of the world because Jesus is stronger than that. He is above that. But we must also remember our own vulnerability and not put ourselves in situations that we can't handle. It's a fine line. But if we take Jesus with us, it's a line that we can walk. Paul goes on. You were taught with regard to your former, former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new 
in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is saying there is that we should be noticeably different. There should be a noticeable change in us when we come to know Jesus. If you're sitting there today and you're sort of tentatively exploring the Christian faith, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm barely even conceived on the journey of, of faith. I don't know if I've even been born yet. That's okay. That's okay. Come and talk to us. Ask how that, that change can take place in you. Because God is in you. God is working in you. And there is, a, there is a choice to be made. Jesus gives us that choice. Do we want to take off the old self? Do we want to put down the, 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 the times that we give in to temptation, the bad habits that we form? Do we want to do that? And if the answer is yes, then I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you want to choose Jesus, then that's the right choice. Come along, have the conversation and we can start exploring faith together and exploring a fulfilled life. But as a church, as a church, we can make sure that we, we, we carry on some of the things that we saw yesterday. Yesterday was a service that, that glorified God, but it was fun. It was great. And the number of people that said to me afterwards, it was so full of joy. And that's what we want church to be. We want church to be a place where people come in and they experience the glory of God and they enjoy him. Amen. Back to that Westminster Catechism that I spoke about yesterday. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we find joy when we put down our old self, when we put down the ways of the world, when we do not conform to the ways of the world, but allow our minds to be renewed by God. And if we do that, then we find very quickly that we have prepared ourselves personally, equipped ourselves personally to serve the church, and as a church, we have been equipped to go out and to serve in the way that God calls us to do so. And when we, when we reach the third section of Ephesians 4 next week, that's when Paul begins to list the do's and don'ts and the things that we can do to serve together. But right now, I wonder, I wonder if this week, as we, as we go away and as we spend time praying over this passage, as we spend time praying about what we've heard today, I wonder if there's anybody who suddenly thinks, I know what God's calling me to do in the church. I know what, what God's called. I've got a real passion to, to start this group or to, to, to lead this or to, to explore this initiative. I know what God's calling me to do. Well, this is a new start. This is a new opportunity. If we, have, if we have ideas, if we have things that we'd like to do, then let's start talking about them. Let's start looking to the future and seeing what we can do to build this church, to reach out to the, to the city, but also to reach inwards as well. Not everything we do is reaching out. It's important that we, that we grow our own faith as well. I'd love to hear what, what, you, what you feel God is putting on your heart to do for our church. 
Because if we do that, then, then that, that spirit of unity, that bond of peace, that list of, of the things that God has equipped us with, the people and the skills and the ideas and the resources, we can pull them all together and we can become an active, healthy, strong body that with Christ at the head can build God's kingdom, make a difference and change lives, which is what we're called to do, to make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to teach people about Jesus and lead them to him. Are we up for it? Good. So am I. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, that it is a word that is so full of rich instruction. Telling us how we can, we can have a life that is full of you. And how we can be a church that is equipped and released and prepared to serve you. And Father, we pray that as we start this new season at NCBC, Lord, we pray that you will raise people up in our midst, give people the confidence to say, I think God's calling me to do this, to lead this, to start this. I feel inspired and infused. I feel spiritually empowered. Father, we pray that more and more people will, will want to serve the church and do, play an active role, whatever that might be. Father, we pray that we will become better and better at listening to you and being obedient to your, your calling on our lives. And Father, we pray that we will also be patient with one another. We pray that we will recognize that while some of us want solid food, others of us still need the milk. And that's okay, because we all go through that phase. We all need to be humbled at times. And we all need to recognize that this side of the grave, we will not be made perfect, but one day we will be because of the grace that is given to all of us and the grace that we can take out into the world. Father God, thank you so much for this body of Christ. Thank you so much that it is it is served so well by so many. Thank you for this faithful and loyal church, a church that, that welcomes people, that loves people. Father, we pray that all those characteristics will continue to be shown and to, to, to develop through, through the years ahead. And Father, we pray that we can stay focused on you and focused on building your kingdom and doing your work. In Jesus' name, amen.
We've spoken a lot about the unity of the church. And so let's share the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all forevermore. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Please sit down.